Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Behind the Mask. This is a special episode, as it's the first one in our series on sustainability and greening the supply chain. March is Logistics Sustainability Month, so for the next five episodes, in addition to looking at how people working in logistics and related industries are coping during the pandemic, we're going to focus on issues of sustainability and environmental awareness. My name is Rachel Kador, and I'll be your host for Behind the Mask, the Green Edition. I'm so excited to introduce our first guest, who is a speaker, author, food activist, and social entrepreneur. He comes with over 10 years of experience in sustainability, especially within the area of reducing food waste. And he is the founder of a startup that is producing the first zero waste beer in Germany. Daniel Antis, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. We're so glad to have you. Thank you for joining us. So I wanted to just dive right in and ask you why, as someone with so much experience in sustainability, why you've decided to focus on food waste in particular? Um, by now, it's a, if you will, topic of heart since one day I was able to rescue food in my leisure time since I wasn't quite happy with the job I'm, I was in. And so I started engaging in food sharing, which is basically a big organization where you can engage in rescuing food from supermarkets or other stores. And I was lucky to have my car with me because at the end of the day, my car was full with baked goods that would have landed in the bin if I wasn't there. And that, if you will, was a moment where I realized, well, that happens here every night, every day and 365 days a year. And basically that was the starting point of my engagement, particularly in the topic of food waste. Wow. And, and so since then, you've really turned that into an entrepreneurial spirit as well. Can you talk a little bit more about your, your business and how you're working with that? Well, by now, um, as you said, I'm more than 10 years in the topic and basically the majority of the time I was engaging, reducing food waste in Malaysia time. So being active in a small NGO here in Frankfurt where we try to do events um, and basically spread the word about how food cherishment or how rescuing food can also be joy, save you money and make a greater contribution for the sustainability of our planet. I had the idea of coming, coming up with a bread beer. So basically using surplus bread to brew a beer, since I've heard about that idea in, in the UK and I wasn't quite sure why in Germany, where basically the whole world is jealous about our bakery and our brewing skills, nobody came up with the idea yet. And so I just started speaking to breweries here, local breweries, and the resonance was quite positive at the, from the start. And then as I noticed that people looked for, if you will, more sustainable products, um, everyday products like beer, I asked myself, why can't this be, if you will, my first ever startup? And so, yeah, I took all my courage, founded a company, and here we, here we are now. That's so exciting. So you're, you're selling this beer now in Germany, is that right? Yes, yes, we do so. And, and what is that process like, sourcing the bread to turn into the beer? I'm just curious what your supply chain looks like and, and how that works locally for you. Well, we partnered up with a organic bakery here in Frankfurt. I think by now the third biggest ba organic bakery in Germany. So there are lots of stores where there is surplus at the end of the day. And basically what we do is we collect surplus bread. So bread that, bread that hasn't been sold 
dry it, then put it, um, crush it into small pieces, and then replace up to one fourth of the brewing malt that is normally used for making beer. So at the end of the day, we have a substantial, if you will, resource um, substitution with a with a, if you will, trash product since it would have landed mm. in the bin and so can produce a beer that is also zero waste and by now also organic. Wow. And then when you sell it, you you put some labeling on it indicating that this is a zero waste product. Is that right? Yes, uh, but we put all tastes first. So uh, our claim mm. is all taste, zero waste, because we think that, of course, for the consumers in Germany, taste is the most important buying criteria, if you will. But as sustainability is getting more and more traction, uh, I think by now we are pretty well uh, located in the, in, the, in the shelves. And so with every bottle of our beer, you can save one slice of bread. That's exciting. And and I'm thinking from the perspective of the bakery owners, what do they think about this? Because you're taking something that they would, like, as you said, just have to throw in the trash and you get to use something with it. So uh, what what is their response to this startup? Um, well, of course, they are quite happy since a product where they put lots of time and resources in gets rescued and, if you will, has a second chance in order to to get to the consumers. Because even in the organic field where people, I think you could say, pay more attention to topics like transparency, quality, and basically where, where the food comes from, uh, you cannot plan one-to-one -one accordingly on a daily basis how much how much bread you need to bake or how much bread you can sell. So there is surplus, uh, whether you want it or not. But then trying to engage in not having that surplus end up in biogas tanks here in, in Germany, we, we if you will, we burn surplus food um, because there are more measures that are more sustainable and have a, if you will, greater contribution for society. And if you will, then recycling bread and coming up with another food item is, I think, the better way to go instead of burning it. Yeah, whenever possible, of course. And I just, I have some stats here because I think it's really interesting when you fully understand the scope of this issue. Uh, for example, I read that if food waste were a country, so just the like just the amount of food we waste, the carbon footprint from that would be the third largest in the world after China and the USA. Have you heard that statistic before? Yeah, it's one of the key statistics I, I tell mm -hmm. people when I tell them about food waste because I think it's it's quite absurd. And nobody, nobody, really nobody has an understanding about how the how big the masses are of food that we waste. Uh, and therefore, I think it's quite important to talk about it. And I'm quite happy that the topic itself is getting more and more recognized by politics, by enterprises, and by the society in general, um, because I think it's one of the big, if you will, key measurements uh, in the fight against climate change. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're talking about this um, problem of surplus, right? So on a retail level, not really being able to say every day exactly what you need to produce. Um, and then, of course, that's that carries down into the individual level as well. Um, so I'm just I'm just curious, uh, you know, where do you think this responsibility lies um, between the individual, the the people who are manufacturing the food, the people who are selling the food, and the people who are, you know, tangentially related throughout the entire process? You know, what is our what can we do as individuals, and and what should we focus on on a bigger level as well? Um, well, I think this is a, 
A great question, a question that gets asked a lot and where people at least, I think, expect uh, an easy answer. But of course, mm -hmm. uh, there is no one because the, the topic itself is so complex and, the, the if you will, the challenge is so big. So I think there is no one person, no one organization, no one stage in the supply or in the, in the value chain that has um, the responsibility. I think everybody has a responsibility. And if we look at the stats, for instance, how here in the Western world, uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, if you will, so industrialized countries, food waste, at least to the studies that we have. And of course, those are to some extent uh, not 100% sure about the, the, the extent itself, but we can say that lots of food is wasted towards the end of the supply chain. So talking about individuals, talking about households. But if, for instance, we look at the potential in order to reduce food waste, so looking at where food waste in the supply chain occurs, um, although it shouldn't or it must, uh, we can say that retail, for instance, produces food waste and 90% of that is avoidable. So there are different factors that contribute to the fact that retail is so wasteful but the potential of rescuing food is far bigger than at the household stage, if you will. And um, we also do know that lots of studies don't really have figures about the waste that occurs directly on the fields, where we can say that at least, I don't know, every second apple, every second carrot um, isn't being harvested because it doesn't occur, it doesn't correspond to the marketing standards that we have. So it doesn't even end up at the retail stage. It, uh, it stays at the fields, uh, but it doesn't get recognized in those statistics. So you can say that all along the, the value chain, waste occurs and everybody has a responsibility. Wow. So some of the waste isn't even being accounted for in these statistics that we have because it's not even being taken off the fields in the first place. Exactly, exactly. And that wow. number is, I think you can say, uh, quite big, quite big, up to 50% yeah. of the food that is produced. Well, so if we if we just focus in on one aspect of this, which is the transport of of food, which is a huge industry, right? And uh, obviously something that we at Transporian are really interested in. So where do you see the the relationship between food waste and transport, especially when it comes to um, carbon emissions, because that's a big area of focus for us right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that this, of course, depends on the on the food that you're looking at, uh, on the market that you're looking at. But at the end of the day, you can say that we by now live in a world that is uh, globalized and connected in a way that it hasn't been before. And we have figures that, for instance, um, I think in Germany, the number is around four to five percent. The food, the food that is consumed comes from overseas. So speaking about mm -hmm. exotic uh, topic at, um, items and the distances covered by these four to five percent account for, I, I would say, two thirds, up to 70 percent of all the transport that occurs um, for our food. And if we now think about a mango or bananas being wasted here in Germany after traveling four to five thousand kilometers. I think speaking from an ethical perspective, and, th <laughs> and that is uh, quite a, p a pity, you would say. Um, and therefore, I think that the system itself um, that is longing for profit and is longing for the, the most efficient processes uh, tend to uh, let us to the stage where food is so cheap that we, if you will, account for such wasteful behavior um, because it is cheaper to produce more food uh, than 
to produce produce less with regards to actual demand. Mm-hmm. And so I think at the end of the day, of course, um, transport is a big topic. But um, now speaking about beer, you can also say that, of course, transport looking at the CO2 footprint of food um, doesn't necessarily has to be the biggest part uh, when we look at global warming potential of certain kinds of food. And if we look at beer in particular, um, the CO2 emissions from transport are far less than, for instance, uh, packaging or the raw materials itself that went into the beer production in the first place. Interesting. And is that something from your business or is that kind of generalized across the industry? Because I imagine it, it depends quite a lot on where you're exporting to and how big your operation is, or is that in general? No, no, no. That That's just now um, looking at beer in particular, where um, mm. um, the the markets itself, um, of course, we, we have global players like Heineken, etc. Uh, but normally um, the, the markets itself are quite regional and uh, you don't have that many export uh, activities. Um, I think at least in the, the middle stage or small brewery companies. Um, but I don't know, another example would be the tomato uh, and looking at transport. Also here, the tomato that may have uh, have more transport kilometers on its backpack doesn't necessarily have to be less sustainability if the other tomato has been produced in the region but has been stored um, six months or has been um, grown in a greenhouse gas that is quite energy intensive. So then the tomato from the canals, for instance, or from Spain might be more um, sustainable in a way that it is less CO2 intensive than the tomato grown here in a greenhouse gas. Right. So, so, so much of the advice out there is to shop local, to buy local. But are you saying that in some cases that's not actually the most sustainable solution? If you will. But uh, of course, that would be uh, yeah, quite, uh, I would say, if you have the chance, you should try to buy as local, as regional as you can, but also as seasonal as you can. So if you have a chance uh, to buy food that is in season, you can be quite sure that it is the most sustainable option you have. Uh, If you want food that is out of season, of course, then you would have to look at the fact where it has been stored, for instance, or where it is coming from eventually in order to tell whether the CO2 footprint is big or not that big. Um, Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, of course, if you want to have the most uh, sustainable food choices, you should pay lots of attention to the factors of regionality and seasonality. And then, of course, if you will, organic versus conventional. But uh, those, the difference aren't that big um, with regards to regionality and seasonality. I like that. So maybe instead of saying buy local, it's buy seasonal. You have to understand what's seasonal for your region. But that's Absolutely. great advice. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's a big topic. And this is something where we have to, if you will, relearn um, how food has been produced or how food is growing in general because I think nobody has or very few have something like a season calendar at their fridge at home Um, but I think that is something quite vital and that is something which you can easily if you will relearn in order to know what's when the food itself tastes best because we know the food that is in season tastes far better than the food that has been stored or has been transported from far uh, Mm. around the world. Yeah, of course. Eat better, eat seasonal. I love it. So uh, this is the Behind the Mask podcast. So that means we're focusing on the stories of real people 
throughout this pandemic. So I did want to ask you, how has the pandemic changed your work with sustainability and food waste and how, what has it taught you? Well, that's big topic uh, for me because of course I've been struggling uh, during the pandemic as well since I'm working the majority of my time as a freelancer and as a speaker and of course since there have, hasn't been that many events um, work hasn't been that great <laughs> compared to the year before of course uh, but I think looking at society as a whole and this is what I at least try to do uh, on a daily basis is how society changes what are the megatrends and the trends at hand that, if you will, show us a way into a more sustainable or more healthy or more joyful future. I would say that as every crisis, uh, there can be something like um, uh, shock therapy in which healing emerges. Now, that's, that sounds a little bit pathetic, but every crisis, of course, is a chance. And I think if we look at the, if you will, living area of nutrition or food in generally, I think Corona has, if you will, shortened the distance between us and the food we consume. Um, since all around us um, there has been chaos and there has been crisis mode 24-7 and this is why society or we as people had, if you will, a bigger need for security, for trust and for proximity. And this has led to the fact that we and the, the, if you will, the demand for organic food, for fair trade food and for regional food increased because we wanted to turn to the familiar, to the regional and to the more transparent. And I think this is a great example of where a crisis can, if you will, spark change that is more future fit, that has or has more potential for, for a more sustainable tomorrow. And I think the chance that particularly in the food sector now uh, presents itself is quite big and Every other week of Corona crisis, if you will, leads to the fact that we try, we have to deal with food in another way that we would have if the crisis crisis wasn't there in the first place. Uh, but mm -hmm. this is where change happens, and this is where we, of course, can, if you will, path the way to more sustainable food, if you will, consumption patterns. Yeah, I think you're so right. I mean, I know so many people who's attitudes towards food have changed because of the pandemic because all of a sudden we're all at home we can't go to restaurants we can't you know go to the office to have lunch like maybe we used to so often um i know i've really had to think about the food i'm buying and the food i'm eating because all of a sudden i'm at home cooking you know so many times a day and i wonder if this has sparked some of that change that you're talking about this this new attitude toward buying local buying seasonal and, and really focusing on what we're buying in the first place. I think absolutely. And uh, this is also why we, for instance, speak about this do-it-yourself trend, because as you said, we have more time at our hands and we wanted to fill that, if you will, gap with something tangible, with, with something that gives us some sort of yeah, joy and, and sense. And so we started baking bread again. Uh, things we haven't done, for instance, I think maybe for, for years now, and uh, we only have talked about to our grandmother or mother, uh, but now we started to really come up with our own sourdough and with our own bread stories. And I think this is quite vital because it, as I said, it, if you will, reduces the distance between us and what eventually lands on our plates and what we eat. And uh, the shorter that distance, the more we learn to cherish the food that we eat and the more, I think, um, our, our consumption decisions will be more sustainable. 
Yeah, I love that because it's not just a physical distance. It's not importing food. It's the emotional distance. You know, when you spend the time producing your own sourdough, you really want to consume all of that bread because you know what the effort it took to create it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think uh, the as as I said, as pathetic as it might sound, with every week of crisis, the the chances are bitter because changes in purchasing or consumption behavior become more sustainable because we have to get uh, out of our comfort zone. We have to do things in another way because the conditions have changed. And uh, I think it's it's more it's better for us as a society to look uh, at those factors in a constructive manner and uh, to yeah to get the best out of it. And uh, if it helps us getting uh, getting into a more sustainable food system, then I think it's 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 worth doing it. Hmm. So I have one final question for you, which is when when we talk about food waste, it can I think it can quickly feel overwhelming because the the scale is so great. So what motivates you to keep going in this industry when when sometimes it feels very daunting, maybe? I think because it's I wanna I wanna feel I want to feel a purpose in in what I'm doing. Uh, I want to mm. get out of bed with a goal in mind, with a with a bigger goal that may may be far away, but where it's worth uh, working towards. And I think food waste is such an issue, uh, an emotional issue by now because it's something we do, or at least I do, three to five times a day eating. And um, due to the fact that it's such an emotional topic, I think it's so worthwhile spending time trying to tell people about the challenges at hand but more importantly to inspire them to rethink or redo things uh, particularly when it comes to dealing with food uh, because I, as i said i think the lever is quite big there are lots of studies that show that the fight against food waste might be the most um, single most biggest opportunity to curb climate change due to the fact that they extend by now it's so big um and i think there is yeah great potential yeah. for purpose for individual purpose but of course for for society as a whole in order to get on a more sustainable path yeah and of course there's not a single person alive who's not affected by this so it has the definition of a global impact yeah and i think at the end of the day everybody eats and so everybody wastes food and of course mm -hmm. uh so everybody is part of the problem, but also can be part of the solution. And I think this is this equation is quite simple, but, but also quite purposeful for me. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been excellent to talk with you. Um, thank you so much, Daniel. And that was our first episode of the green edition of Behind the Mask. Join us next week. Thank you so much for joining us today.